and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon Podcast. We're brought to you every week by our sponsors, PrecisionHydration.com. Precision Hydration offer electrolyte drinks in different strengths to match how you sweat. Personalize your hydration strategy today at PrecisionHydration.com and get a free box or tube of pH worth up to $9.99 using the code OxygenAddict. We're also brought to you by FoodCell.co.uk. The next generation of top tube nutritional carriers for your bike, designed to allow endurance triathletes and cyclists to carry enough food and gels while allowing easy access. Use the code FREEPOST for free delivery worldwide. Check it out at foodcell.co.uk. And we're also brought to you by Tribe. Natural sports nutrition delivered direct to you. You can get a trial pack of six delicious energy bars, protein bars, and protein shakes for just a pound, including postage and packaging. Head to wearetribe.co forward slash oxygen addict and use the code tribe oxygen addict. Awesome stuff. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. It is bright and early Monday morning here. The sun's out and shining. Today, we've got a brilliant show lined up for you. We've got some race results from Mallorca 70.3, amongst other places around the world. And we've got an awesome interview with Frankie Sanjana as well, haven't we, Hells? Yeah, absolutely. Really, really interesting interviewing Frankie. And you know, Rob, how a lot of pros, when they say maybe if they've come up through the age group ranks and they still I don't know, bashed out a sort of 10 and a half hour Ironman or whatever when they first did it before yeah. they turned pro. Frankie's story of her first Ironman is um, pretty interesting. <laughs> Eight and a half hour marathon. Really? Yeah. Wowzers. An inspirational well, interview for everybody out there doing their first Ironman who hopes that they can improve in the future then, right? Yep, definitely. Loving it. All right. Well, Hells, first up, I think we've got to give Hells props here. We are, we're recording pre 7am today and Hells tells me she's already been up and done a run and had breakfast before we're recording. <laughs> Hardcore. <laughs> Love yeah, it. I got up at, alarm went off at half five, out the door at 20 to six. Quick, That's you brutal. know, quick 5k, back, breakfast. I even showered, Rob. That is, that I is even put moisturizer on my face. I mean, you've been treated here. You are on um, it. Thank God I'm it's on not it. video call, right? You don't want to be looking at me at this time in the morning. <laughs> no, exactly. So yeah, bright and early. Um, I'm off to London town at 8am. I have to get a train. So um, yeah, we're, <laughs> we're on it this morning. Well, do you know what? I'm going to kick off by saying congratulations to you and your team for putting on the, the Smart Financial Services Canute Kids Duathlon in Lim this weekend. I took my little dude and his friends up there and they absolutely loved it. Hells, you put on a brilliant event. The sun was shining. The fields were green and beautiful. It was like England's pleasant land, wasn't it? It was. It was we were really, really lucky with the weather because obviously last week it had been pretty horrible and quite raining. And Even the um, day before, was it, the sun started to come through about lunchtime, but it was still freezing yeah. cold. And then race day. Yeah glorious sunshine everyone's in t-shirts everyone's well, dancing we were, to the we music we were there with like we were there with bobble hats on and gloves at 7 a.m it was three degrees i think when we left yes. home but then uh, yeah set up wasn't it yeah yeah but it, it warmed up and um yeah we had nearly 100 kids taking part which is amazing from like four to 12 years old and um the one we've had a lot of nice feedback like you're saying there and like how much of the kids had enjoyed it one dad it sort of really stood out actually for me because he said, I think his daughter's very good and quite often she might go to races um, like, I don't know, Alton Park or something like that. And yeah. basically he said that all the kids are on flashy carbon and everything like that. And he said, and it's so nice what you're doing here because it literally equipment doesn't come into it. They just need a bike and a pair of trainers oh, kind of thing. It was ace. It was real grassroots racing, like literally yeah. grassroots racing. Yeah, no literally. transition racking, kids' bikes on the floor by a little numbered flags. So they still, you know, proper transition area. But my son got there and he was just like, whoa, what's going on? What happens here? <laughs> I'm confused. I'm confused. And then within a couple of minutes, a volunteer had taken him round. They're taking him through and showing him what was going on. And he absolutely loved every kid there had such a massive smile on the face as they were doing yeah. it and they were all it wasn't like racing it was like the kids had this like a fun run feel to it wasn't it yeah it yeah it was really really great so when's the next one tell us when the next one is for people so who the are next listening one can get there for so, the northwest yeah so the next one is june the 30th okay at 
Darland High School, which is in Rosset, which is near Wrexham. And again, it'll be for primary age and up to year seven. So literally four years old, 12. Um, and there's a fun run for the under fives or anybody basically who doesn't want to do a duathlon. You can go and do the fun run. Um, and then, yeah different duathlon races so yesterday we had three depending on age so split into school year groups kind of year five six and seven um year three and four and years one and two and there are loads of marshals on hand to help everybody it was just brilliant uh, it was yeah, just they generally get a, awesome they'll get a medal so canutduathlon.com and then the final one will be in nutsford on sunday july the 7th all right, listeners, so if you're anywhere in the area, get yourselves down, come down and meet Hells, come down and meet me, race around with your kids, try not to be an uber competitive mum or dad. <laughs> <laughs> there were one or two of those there, but only one or two. Yeah. <laughs> I I never want to be that parent whose voice is louder than like the ship docking at Liverpool docks. Come on! No, you, should, you need to leave that to us marshals and volunteers <laughs> who were just like... Oh, it's great fun. Yeah, we were we were full of beans. My my little my little dude jumped off his bike at the end of the bike ride and then walked like it was a road safety you know, walked at about <laughs> half a mile an hour, really Fighting pristinely through <laughs> the marshal was going, You're allowed to run through, push your bike, push your bike. He said, do 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 He's dead hard not to be like, Come on <laughs> Just go a bit quicker. Oh, great fun. Uh, it's one or two of them. Like we were just helping them around the last bit of the run course, like with a bit of encouragement, and they'd sort of like sprint to you, and then you'd like go, "Okay, look, we've got a little bit more to go," and then they'd sprint again. Yeah, it's all or nothing, isn't it? We've got it's two speeds. We'll walk in, or we'll and then and then it's like we you literally just get to that next person, then you can sprint finish. <laughs> Do you know what's really funny is um, I was talking with Rushy at the start of uh, start of my son's race, and the. the Hooter went to start them and everyone sprinted as fast yes. as they could and we both went oh no they're going far too fast and Rushy looked at me and went do you know what it looks just like the start of an adult duathlon we're no better <laughs> <laughs> they, they really like especially the really 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 young ones yeah, yeah. just it was go. fun wasn't it it was awesome yeah. Yeah. All right, listen, let's uh, let's kick on with the show and crack on with various, because we've got all kinds of racing going on, haven't we, throughout the year. So let's have a look. First, shout out to precisionhydration.com. You need to get yourself some electrolytes. It's going to be hot and sunny this week, Hells, and we want to keep those calf cramps away. So go over right. to precisionhydration.com, take the online sweat test, and if that points you to being a particularly heavy or salty sweater, then get yourself to see them in person and have your sweat tested, because if you're really heavy sweater or you're really salty sweater then that can really mess with your electrolyte balance they do awesome electrolytes in different strengths so for me super salty sweater i get those 1500 milligram sachets doesn't taste horrible and salty it goes in the bottle i've got an admission i was out doing a little bit of training last night got out in the in the evening sunshine and Ooh. thought you know what get the ph in the bottle don't want any of those midnight calf cramps tonight so the 1500s did me the job and I got a nice peaceful night's sleep afterwards, which for a guy like me, who's used to being woken up in the night feeling as though he's been shot in the calves, it was awesome. <laughs> Very sensible. Very sensible. Right. So let's kick it off then down in 70.3 pay Dax down in France, where we had wins for Andy Bocker and Emma Pallant. Yeah, Emma Pallant with another win uh, this season. She did a nice uh, swift 116 half marathon to um, to get the win there. That's blooming quick, isn't it? It really is. It's only a couple of minutes short of the, like, the men's top five there kind of run time. So she looks yeah. like she's absolutely flying on a run. And she's got a precision hydration run visor on as well, which is very cool. Very natty yeah. there. Fashion <laughs> props to you, Emma. <laughs> <laughs> and then... Um, the second was Nikki Bartlett, who out-sprinted India Lee at so the, the end. The GB one two three, loving it. Yeah. So Brilliant. India Lee, I think she's is she second year of racing pro now. She won Weymouth mm. seventy point three, didn't she? Um, mm. The back end of last year, and actually, I was interviewing Susie Cheatham earlier this week. And she's a training partner of um, Susie's and she was saying, you should get India Lee on the show. She's going really well and she's going to race this weekend. So Susie calls it, calls a podium for India. Yeah, no, really good, really good performance. And she, 
great run as well from Nikki, who, you know, friend of the show, we've had her on absolutely loads. And um, she said afterwards that she was so happy to put a performance out, which shows where her training is at. And, you know, she was a few minutes down and really had to work hard on that run to catch India. And she did and then out sprinted her at the finish. Oh, good stuff. Over on the men's side, solid win for Andy Bocker in 352. Britain's Adam Bowden comes through. Get this, Hells. 108.41 on the run. That's like five minutes faster than Andy Bocker, five clear minutes faster than anyone else in the field to take yeah. second. So that is a rock star run performance, isn't it? It is a rock star run performance. And he keeps on doing it. Yeah. Like he keeps on because he is a blinking. He's a machine. He is a he is a machine. Yeah. So takes down Andy Dreitz, who was in third in three fifty six. All right, next up on our little agenda, we've got the regional championships, seventy point three come on, you pronounce it, seventy point three Danang, is it? Dan yeah, in Vietnam. Danang. Yeah. Yep, so it was the Asia Pacific Championship, wasn't it? And um, they had a really, really, really stacked field for those races. Yeah. Um fresh off the back of her win at St George, literally seven days prior, Holly Lawrence took the win Backs again. It up, yeah. I mean that's that's good going, isn't it? Given that Given the travel that she'll have had to do between the two and the jet lag and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty impressive. impressive performance with her. So it's good to see. Listen back a couple of episodes ago, we've got an interview with her and she was saying she feels like she's in pretty good form. So she's backing that up there. And it looks like she didn't have to absolutely kill it on the run as well. It looks like it was super, super hot. So she takes that in 4.04 from Sarah Crowley in second and Radhika Kalafel in third. The men's race was even more stacked than the women's race, yeah. by the look of things, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, there, I mean, the likes of Patrick Langer, um, Tim Reed, Mike Phillips, Crowey, Tim Don, Roman Guillaume, yeah. loads of them. Yeah, so yeah. massive, massive field. And um, it was Patrick Langer's first race, I think, of, of the season. And um, he went and won it. So 3.49 ahead of Tim Van Berkel and then Tim Reed, who, again, Rob, he only did Ironman Australia seven days prior, didn't he? Yeah. And also, again, shout out to Craig Alexander finishing in fifth there. He raced just last weekend and won last weekend yep. as well, didn't he? So yep. to do that on, on sore legs, impressive stuff. Looks like it came At down to a real run battle. Six. There was a lot of guys came off the, the race together and... I get the feeling that the run splits might not quite show how the racing was. Apparently, Patrick Langer dropped in a couple of three-minute Ks in the middle of that run to take the win. Uh, So Patrick Langer takes it in 3.49 from Tim Van Berkel in 3.50, Tim Reed in 3.52. Then Mike Phillips and Craig Alexander in fifth with Tim Don in sixth, all kind of stacked in there. Um, I think it's worth calling this out, actually. That that pack of guys there are all running like 120, 121. Sarah Crowley ran 123. So mm. we've known that she goes really well in the heat and humidity, but that's a really great performance with hardly any deficit to the men's run splits there for her, no. isn't it? No, really, yeah. Yeah, that is decent. Yeah. I think Crowley turns 46 this week. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> that's unbelievable, isn't it? It is unbelievable. Yeah, it is unbelievable. What if he still keep doing this till he's fifty? That'd be awesome. Still racing pro at fifty. <laughs> In, yeah, that, and that's a legit race as well, isn't it? The seventy point three Asia Pacific Championships. To well, with that field, seriously, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, Rob, is he like what two months older than you? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Come on. <laughs> I tell you, I'm not turning out at three forty-five anytime soon. <laughs> three fifty-four. Sorry, anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my Achilles tendons hurt just looking at that run split yeah don't wow this is yeah. insane insane um should we head over to Mallorca which was a 70.3 age group only race oh, yeah, get this. and pretty much every age group <laughs> in oh the western God. hemisphere racing like how long does it take to get through transition there 4,000 athletes yeah that is just a it's beyond massive isn't it it's insane Really, really. And that's it's on my list of races that I would like to do because the bike course is a really great mix of sort of fast, flat time trialing, a really beautiful mountain climb, fast, windy descent, and then sort of fast, flat time trialing back to the back to the start again. Um, And uh, 
it looks like from the, I had three athletes out there racing. Did you? From the guys and all of them said, oh my God, that was hot and windy. Yeah. It was was proper hot, sunny Majorcan weather, but with lots of wind as well. So really tough conditions for the guys who were racing out there. Because the last couple of years it's been, you know, one year they just had awful, awful, like freezing cold weather, didn't they? Yeah. A couple of years ago, I remember it rained really hard and there were loads of people coming off on the descent. So it's nice that they get good conditions. Because a lot of people are quite nervous about that. Obviously, it's it's one thing having a race with a big climb in it, but windy switchbacky kind of descent as well with lots of motivated people and can be really dangerous. So in fact, my, my man, Corin, who was racing, said there were some maniacs on the descent in his in his oh. race report. He said, I was just trying to stay out of trouble. Um, but he nailed it. He wanted to go sub 5.30 and he put out a 5.29, which was brilliant. Oh, nice. And we also had Laura and Suzanne racing from Team OA and they posted a nice picture of them like standing next to each other at the finish, although they'd never met. So they got the nice <laughs> finishers Team OA selfie together. So nice, nice. work, you two. Brilliant. And um, Rob, Alison McKenzie was the fastest female overall. She did it in 4.43. That's brilliant, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so well, let's give some shout-outs to the fastest GB athletes. We had Alison McKenzie in the female 35. Joe Wright in the female 25 was fifth overall. And Elizabeth Duncan was eighth overall. And then on the men's side, Ian Dempsey was eighth overall. Sion Stansfield was ninth overall. And Richard Shepard was... Well, he was third Brit. It doesn't say he's placing overall, but he must have been very close to the top 10 overall. He was only a handful of seconds behind. Yeah. I'm going to give one more, Rob. Go on. Jill Fullen, 10th overall in the age 55 to 59. She did 4.58. Wow. She's a machine (laughs) as well, isn't she? Yeah. Yeah. Loving it. All right. Coach's couch this week. The question is, Rob... What run pace and heart rate levels should you be running at for 70.3 and Ironman races? All right. So we're, we're going to do this on the back of our question about bike pacing for last week. Uh, somebody sent me an email and said, it's all very well talking about you know, like your pacing on the bike, but what about pacing on the run? Because I've always basically just gone run as hard as I possibly can to get to the finish. <laughs> so I thought, right, this is a good one. So before we give you some pacing advice here, the key is... We're setting your pace caps to ensure that you can have a really strong back end of the run. So no matter what distance you're at from sprints all the way through to Ironman, you really want to be feeling like you're going fast when the rest of the race is running slow. And the key to that is usually controlling yourself at the start of the run, because as we said with the kids duathlon earlier, the way that it feels at the start of the run is often not the way that it is. You're full of adrenaline (laughs) and you're going to go far too fast. So treat these numbers here as caps to hold yourself back rather than targets to aim for. So first up, We'll go with 70.3 and Ironman first, and I'll give a shout out about sprinting Olympic as well. For our iron distance athletes, aim for the top end of your e-pace. So again, go to oxygenetic.com forward slash V dot. Type in a recent race result, and that'll give you the paces that you can run relative to your own fitness at the moment. Run at your e-pace there. E-pace will be given to you as a zone. It's a zone about 45 seconds wide, but the faster end of your e-pace is a real good target for like an aggressive run. If you feel like you're in really good run shape, obviously if you don't feel as though you're in really good run shape, back off to the middle of your e-pace run. And again, what I would advise you to do here is do the 9-1 run-walk method up to about the 20-mile point. You don't have to do it exactly in that ratio. You can time your walk to go through an aid station so you can get your aid in. And then if you can do this right, you'll get to the 20 mile point of the run in really good shape to be able to run a hard, continuous last 10K. You might not go any faster, but you'll certainly feel it if you're running when everyone else has fallen apart and they're just walking. Okay. In terms of mm-hmm. heart rate zones, that's going to be the, the middle to top end of your heart rate zone too. 70.3 pacing is your M pace. So that's your marathon pace run. It's going to be about somewhere in the region of, I don't know, 45 seconds to a minute per mile faster than your E pace. So it isn't particularly fast in terms of pure running paces. And I think the temptation as you're doing a 70.3 is going to be to think I can run much faster than this. But again, 
control yourself over the first half. If it does turn out you've got brilliant legs, you can always pick it up in the second half. And again, instead of doing a 9-1 run walk, do 9.5 and then 30 seconds walk. Again, time that through the aid stations. If you can do that for the first half of your run, you can then run continuously to the finish line. There's nothing wrong with stopping to get a mouthful of drink in the back half of your run, but if you set this up right, you'll be able to run a really strong last 10K when everyone else is falling apart. And then in terms of sprint and Olympic, on the sprint, I think if you can pace your 5K, so you're running your your sort of flat out 5K pace plus 5 to 10 seconds per mile. So let's say, you know, your standard 5K pace is six minutes a mile. If you can run 6.05 to 6.10, then that's a good cap there. And it's a real good aggressive target for a good run off the bike. On an Olympic distance race, cap yourself at your 10k race pace plus 10 to 15 seconds mile so again if your 10k race pace is six minutes you're looking at 610 to 615 but the absolute key to this is especially with those shorter distances really try and hold yourself back out of transition over the first 400 because the adrenaline works like an anesthetic and if you can hold yourself back a bit there you really can make some differences later on in the run yeah yeah sound good yeah yeah, don't go too hard too soon. <laughs> don't go too hard too soon. All right, so a uh, bit of a shout out for Team Oxygen Addict. If you're thinking about getting yourself some coaching at the moment and you're thinking, well, we're coming into race season, we've got a special offer in May. If you take out an annual membership, we're going to extend your membership all the way through to the end of September 2020. So actually, an annual membership's buying you it's a year plus almost five months worth extra free so you get two race summers of coaching for the price of one annual membership which is pretty awesome going and also we've decided to offer 30 day money back guarantee because i'm aware like paying up for a year's coaching up front is is a big chunk of change up front but really really confident in what we're offering and we want you to be super happy as well so 30 day no questions asked money back guarantee if you get into it and you think this isn't for me you drop us an email and you go that's it it's not been for me you can have my money back and there you go you get your money back as well so we try and make it as painless as possible for people so yep get in contact via teamoxygenetic.com if you're looking for a bit of coaching awesome stuff right hells can you talk us through our interview of the week this week please Yep. So we're going to be speaking to Frankie Sanjana, who we mentioned on the show the other day because she did um, Galveston 70.3, finishing between Meredith Kessler and Lindsay Corbin. And her time, Rob, was 25 minutes faster than a year ago. She's a, a name and an athlete that she's been she's sort of like been around for a while. You might have heard of her. We might have mentioned her a couple of years ago in in results. She did used to race age group she used to be a rower and it's just really interesting so many of the people that we interview talk about consistency don't they and that is always consistency consistency and you'll often say things don't happen overnight you know you want to get better you want to improve at this sport you it's bit by bit and I think Frankie is such a good example of that so she's been plugging away plugging away plugging away plugging away and now it seems that, you know, the potential that she has clearly shown and clearly had from her background in rowing is kind of finally actually coming through on, you know, in her races and things like that. So here we go. Here is this week's interview of the week. Frankie Sanjana, hello and welcome to the Oxygen Addict Triathlon podcast. First of all, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for having me on the podcast. Oh, no worries at all. Where are you is my next question. Um, At the moment, I'm in Tucson in Arizona. Um, I've been out here since uh, the end of February and I'll be out here another couple of weeks. um, Just getting in a really good uh, training block before the season kicks off. And how did the link come about with Tucson? Because originally you're from the UK, but you currently live in Amsterdam. So what are you doing in Tucson? (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, my old coach had a training camp out here. Um, So that was when I first came out in 2017. Um, And then I wanted to do the 70.3 in Galveston because I'd always seen it as a flat course, um, one that would really suit my strengths. And I had about three weeks in between that training camp and going to Texas. So um, rather than go all the way back home again, I actually saw this thing called the Home Stretch Foundation. 
um, which has been set up here by Catherine Bertin to provide accommodation and support to help female cyclists to try and redress the balance in terms of inequality. Um, I saw that was here and I thought, well, they're probably full of cyclists. And it does say on their website, you know, they'll help athletes from any other sport if they've got space for them. Um, so I applied and that was actually their first year. Um, so they weren't completely full of cyclists and they did have space for me to go for those three weeks. Um, I was really lucky they actually then had space for me to go back again for a couple of months last year. And that's established Tucson for me as a, as a place where I can come to train. Um, I'm not currently staying there. Um, I'm staying with a friend, but just the, the setup here, there's great biking, great running, loads of swimming pools. And of course it's not really cold, which Amsterdam is right now. (laughs) And are there many other triathletes around that you can join in with for training? Yeah, I'm actually swimming with um, a friend at the moment who was, uh, I think she was an elite junior, uh, which has been perfect actually. So it's helped her get back into swimming and the first few weeks we were about the same speed and then her fitness started to come back and now every day I <laughs> pour myself out of the pool after trying to keep up with her. But that's exactly what you need, isn't it? So that's really good. Um, the rest I mostly do by myself. I've hooked up with a couple of other people for track sessions, but to be honest, I actually prefer to do most of my training by myself. So it works out great for me. And what's the actual... I mean, Tucson's known for being ridiculously hot, isn't it? What's the sort of yes, environment it like? <laughs> um, it's 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 really interesting, actually, coming from you know northern Europe where we don't really have weather. Um, it's it's really cold in the mornings because it's basically the desert, and then it's really hot in the afternoons. So, you know, this morning I was out for a swim and I was you know all wrapped up and body warmer and hat and and all that and then this afternoon I'll go out cycling and I'll be sweating in just a shorts and jersey um and it's really really dry obviously as well because it's the desert so that that does kind of make it less of a challenge than if it was somewhere really hot and humid like Texas or Hawaii or something but it it also just dries you out so you've got to really keep hydrated wow it's totally totally different to Amsterdam It is about as different from Amsterdam as you could get. (laughs) I want to know how, because I've been um, doing a little bit of research. Obviously, I've come across your name for quite a number of years now. And the other day, (laughs) you've been around for a while. But the other day, you obviously had a a brilliant result at Galveston, finishing um, between Meredith Kessler and Lindsay Corbin, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. Like, but before before you were racing in the pro ranks, my God, you you've had quite a journey to this point. Oh, that's such a bad word, but I mean, you have. It's fascinating if you read some of your early race reports. <laughs> yeah, so I came from international rowing. Um, in 2012, I got to the last round of trials for the uh, Olympic team and then didn't make it. Um, kind of overtrained myself trying to prove them wrong and then ended up sitting on the sofa not really allowed to do anything for a few weeks because I was in such a mess um and my boyfriend already did Ironman and while I was sitting on the sofa I read Chrissy Wellington's book and I was like well this sounds impossible like you swim all this and then you bike away and then you run a marathon but obviously it's not impossible so people do it and I just really wanted a completely different challenge from rowing, which is really short event. It's about seven or eight minutes. And I thought, I'm going to do an Ironman. And luckily, my dear boyfriend sensibly talked me down and got me to do a half Ironman instead, <laughs> which was a really good thing. Um, so I did 70.3 Galway as my first one. And um, I think I finished six in my age group with some terribly slow time. But I got a roll down slot for world champs. So I was super excited. I was like, this is great. I've been trying to go to World Champs in rowing for years and years and years. Now I'm going to World Champs in this other thing that I've been doing for five minutes. And, you know, it's not quite the same because rowing I was doing as an elite and that was obviously as an age grouper. But it was just, it was exactly what I needed after these years and years of plugging away at rowing and not quite getting there. Um, So I probably approached the whole thing with a bit too much enthusiasm and not enough patience and I just got injury after injury and then I actually finally got an injury that wasn't 
my fault. It was the shape that my hips were. Um, but that took me out for a year, um, 2014 to 2015. And in my infinite wisdom, I decided that the best way to deal with this would be to get my pro license when I came back, because then I could enter races when I wanted to, rather than worrying about them selling out in advance. And I didn't know when I was going to be ready to race again. So my first year racing pro, I did pretty badly. My second year, I did slightly better. Um, and then kind of gradually rebuilt. Um, I was with a coach from the end of 2016 until I think about May last year. And for whatever reason, like it just didn't work for me. Like I completely plateaued. I didn't make any improvement during that time, which was incredibly frustrating. And then I've been back working with Steve since, um, since that point, and it's just been amazing the progress we've made. We've pretty much ripped everything up and started again. Wow. So it's been these years and years and years of like plugging away, kind of knowing that, I, th I guess partly because I'd done well at rowing, I knew, or I kind of I kept the faith that I could actually be not bad at this. And now it feels like it's finally starting to move in the right direction, which is just really, really nice. Wow. So that is pretty much seven years in the in the making. Yeah, and I'm I'm it's still making. Like I don't think I'm anywhere near where I can get to yet. I've just have to get things right and you know, not mess anything up and not start training again too soon after races, that sort of thing. <laughs> Shh. We won't talk about that. Yeah, there's there's a know. photo of you from that first race, from that 70.3 in Galway, um, and you're overtaking a guy in an aero helmet with a disc wheel. <laughs> He's got calf guards on the lot, and you're there on your road bike and just looks like you're having a ball. So clearly you, you have got that sort of natural talent. Yeah, and I've always been rel like, relatively strong on the bike because coming from rowing, it use, like rowing... A lot of people think rowing uses your arms. Actually, it's like 90% legs. So you jump on a bike and like your handling is atrocious, but you can go really, really fast. Um, so that's always been there. And then I was like, well, I must be able to learn to swim. And I must be able to learn to run. There isn't, I mean, it turns out in running, there was this thing wrong with my hips. But like, I was like, there isn't something wrong with me such that I can't learn to do these other sports. You know, like I've got some kind of level of physical ability whether that's from like the eight years I spent rowing or whether that's natural talent or some combination so with the right kind of some people would call it stubbornness I like to call it <laughs> determination <laughs> I was like I, can, I must be able to be good at this so that's what kept me going through all of that had you done any swimming before then or did you have to learn from scratch <laughs> Um, I learned, yeah, I learned when I was a kid in that kind of learning to swim sort of proficiency, like, so you don't drown kind of swimming. Um, but, and I think I, I think I was a bit, I think as an adult when I wasn't rowing, I maybe did a little bit of breaststroke just as exercise, but I didn't really like putting my face in the water, so I didn't do front crawl. So when I came to try, I thought that was kind of my first thing. I was like, okay, I'm going to have to deal. Like, first of all, I'm going to have to put my face in the water. And that was kind of easy. And then I was like, now I have to learn to move forwards quickly. And as you will see, if you look at my splits from Galveston, I am still working on that. <laughs> and did you hook up with Steve True for your swimming at, at the beginning then? Or, or how did you actually go from doing a bit of breaststroke to getting your head in the water and doing front crawl? <laughs> um I first of all got um, lessons from like a friend of a friend down at this 20 meter pool somewhere in Kingston um, and he was great actually but it like the pool wasn't great and I think I just wasn't making the progress that I really wanted to make um, and I, I was after rowing I needed to be self-coached for a while just I'd had, had enough of being told what to do so I was self-coached so I read every article going on the internet about triathlon and about how to how to swim and how to structure a training program and all that and I'd read quite a few uh, swimming articles by Dan Bullock and I was like oh this guy sounds you know he sounds like he knows what he's talking about and actually he's based in London so why don't I um, get some lessons with him so I got some lessons with Dan 
and that was great and he's really really helped and it's like it's such a shame i'm not in the uk i do still see him on training camp sometimes but you know it's not the same as seeing a coach every week i have a new swim coach in the netherlands now um and i was looking for a training camp in 2016 and he put me in touch with steve dunn because he coaches on steve's uh camp in italy and he said you know it's it's not the most serious training camp but you know this is this is where i'll be and i thought well give it a go um so i got in touch with steve and steve said yes we've still got space come on out so i went out and really got on with steve really got on with all the other athletes there and that was actually something that told me a lot because a lot of places i have been for training I've had a lot of people try and tell me what they think, you know, not the coaches, like the other athletes sort of tell me what they think I should be doing or, you know, say, oh, why don't you do this? Or why don't you do that? And I kind of feel a bit like defensive. And in Italy, like no one was like that. Um, And everyone was just lovely. And I fitted in really well. And something I've seen both through rowing and in triathlon, it's like the coach really sets the tone of the group. So I thought if this is a good group of people, that, that says a lot of positive things about Steve as a coach. Um, so I actually worked with Steve for a bit in 2016. And then I went to this other coach, Michael, because he had a group of athletes training together. And I was, you know, I was trying to find a setup where I could be with other people who were training rather than doing everything by myself. Cause there's there's quite a school of thought that 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 is the road to success yeah um for me it just wasn't so then when I left uh from being coached by Michael last year I went to I was back in Italy for the training camp again I said to Steve um you know will you work with me for now and and see where we get to and he said he was so sweet he said I'm not sure if I'm good enough and I said well let's try it and see where we get and now a year later almost a year later I mean I was 25 minutes faster at Galveston this year than I was last year and that I mean that it was slightly faster conditions maybe that will give me five but even so like that's an amazing improvement in a year especially when you're starting to get towards the the top end it's not like going from sort of I don't know that's eight hours to numbers. seven hours a bit something it's yeah so it's it's working really well and yeah like I said I just have to not mess it up by <laughs> overtraining myself so actually the way we worked is quite interesting as well Steve doesn't exactly he doesn't you know load my whole program into training peaks for me he'll send me a list of sessions and say work these in and it works so well because it means if I start warming up for the session one day and I've only got a steady session on the program, I'm feeling great. And I know that I've got like my repeaters coming up. I can just be like, well, I'll just bash these out now. And conversely, if I've got something really hard on the program and I start warming up and I feel miserable and awful and like, oh God, this just isn't happening today. Then I can be like, well, it doesn't have to be today. And then I put a lot of pressure on myself and that approach helped me take at least some of that pressure off. And actually you've got quite a, you know, it gives you a lot of control, doesn't it? Because, and importantly, you're listening to your own body. Yeah. And I think that's so important. Like, And I, I still don't always get it right, but it it is important. And certainly before when I had every session in training peaks with my old coach, I'd wake up and I'd feel dreadful and I wouldn't be able to really do the session properly, but I'd be like, well, it says I have to do it. So I have to do it. And I just push through and push through. And I ended up a mess by the end of it because I was just so tired from always pushing through and not backing off. So, I mean, this is clearly working better. (laughs) It's yeah. Lessons for, for everyone, I think, isn't it about actually you know listening to how you are feeling and that's such an important question for yourself and from a coach as well yeah and I think I think you need to know yourself I mean I know that my tendency is to like keep thrashing my body even when I'm too tired so if I don't want to do a session one day I'll be like okay well maybe I actually shouldn't do it whereas you know I hear a lot of people say if they work with my model they'd never do the hard sessions 
and then obviously you know you need to be honest about that as well um but if you've got the if you've got the balance to get it right then it works and i think different things really do work for different people as well like what i'm doing a lot of people just would hate i know a lot of people like having that decision making taken away from them not having to worry about it yeah yeah it is so true there are so you know there are different models and what works for one person might not necessarily work for another um Iron Man Texas 2013 oh god <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like literally the worst possible race I don't even know how you got to the finish line well so yeah so that was so my boyfriend only temporarily talked me down from doing the Iron Man so I, I'm ashamed to say that I dragged him with me and he did it as well and he had a possibly an even worse day out than I did <laughs> Um, so this one was fine. I think I did a 120 or something, non-white suit swim, which obviously now I wouldn't be happy with. But at the time I was like, you know, that's fine. Um, I was riding, I hadn't got the hang of time trial bikes or anything like that yet. So I was on my lovely road bike. Um, and off, off I went. And the first few hours were, were great, the way the first few hours on my bike probably are. And then... I think it was somewhere around uh, mile 50. I was just going through an aid station. Literally, I was reaching out to take a bottle. And then the next thing I knew, I was on the floor. And I was like, what just happened? And eventually realized someone had hit me from behind and just knocked me off. And Another I don't know what they were doing. Yeah. I think they were just trying to, you know, plow through the aid station without slowing down for water. But they didn't. I guess they weren't looking where they were going. I just don't know. Um so I picked myself up and the volunteers helped me get the chain back on the bike and all that stuff that I had no idea how to do because let's face it I was a total newbie <laughs> um and I got back on and I realized I had a bit of a headache and that I was bleeding a bit and that sort of thing and I felt sick and I couldn't eat anything else later realized my helmet was split in two probably had concussion anyway so I carried on was not feeling great by the time I got into T2 but was like well here I am. I'm only like a bit slower than I thought I was going to be. So I guess that's okay. Um, and then I hadn't got the flying dismount thing down, obviously, but I took my shoes off as I got off my bike and then ran through transition. Cause I was like, Oh, I'll be faster. That's what you're supposed to do. Then any carpet down. Um, so literally the soles of my feet got burnt as I was running on this really, really hot ground. Oh my god! And oh my goodness, it was so unpleasant. I, I so I got out on the marathon. I think I tried to run a little bit, but my feet were so burnt I could. I mean, I couldn't even walk. I walked the whole thing on my heels, <laughs> and I was kind of like waddling. I think the marathon took me like I think I did a one an hour twenty swim, a five thirty bike, and then an eight thirty marathon or something. I can't remember, but it was something like that, and it was just awful. And I was out there looking for Ed. And we somehow never, it's the three lap run. I think it's still the same run course now. Um, he never caught me up. I never caught him up. So we didn't see each other until he came across the finish line. And even an hour after me, and he just got so hot on the bike. And they he'd stopped at an aid station and they had medically examined him and they put a big cross on his bib number which meant that he was allowed to continue, but every aid station he had to stop and basically be dunked in a paddling pool full of ice before he was allowed to continue. (laughs) So we're there at the end of this race. Thankfully, his dad had come out to support, which was, I think that probably helped me finish because I was like, well, his dad's come all this way to help us. You know, and I've come out, everyone knows I'm racing here. I can't, and it's my first one. I can't just drop out. Um, And oh my goodness, it was awful. I spent, we got me home. My feet swelled up on the plane. I couldn't get my shoes back on, so I went through Heathrow in a wheelchair. And I think I pretty much spent the next week, like, just asleep. It was so horrible. <laughs> I mean, obviously now, if anything like that happened, I would just drop out. But, you know, it's a, it is a different mentality when you're a professional versus an age group. Uh, and, you know, professional, that's a big thing at the back of your mind of, if I'm going to really damage myself doing this and get a bad result, then why would I do that rather than be ready for my next race in however many weeks time whereas my first Ironman as an age group I was like well I'm not going to not finish Um, (laughs) yeah it was it was not the best day of my life I'm going to be honest 
has, has has any race ever come near to that in terms of being uh, quite a mental challenge? Yeah, in a really different way. So um, this is quite an interesting point, actually. Last year, well, it will get to the interesting point. I'm going to ramble a bit first. It's all right. Uh, it's all right. Last year, a uh, couple of months after I'd gone back to coaching with Steve, like obviously the changes we've made had not really kicked in yet. And uh, I did a 70.3 in Finland and I was something like 25 minutes off the winner and I was almost last. And I was just, but both during the run, because I knew how badly I was doing and, and for about a week afterwards, I was just devastated. I was like, is this as good as I'm ever going to be? Like you know maybe i'm just you know it was a, it was a real everything. crisis of confidence yeah exactly and like maybe you know almost thinking maybe i should quit because i love the sport but if this is as good as i can ever be then like you know what's the point really we're putting so much into it and it in the end we'll, we just sort of we pretty much sat down and we were like what what have i not been doing that i could do and i I've always accepted that I'm a bit clumsy and I shouldn't do flying mounts and dismounts. And last year I was like, well, right, I'm just going to do this. I've not yet managed to dismount in a race, but I've pulled them out and that has saved me about a minute right there. Um, and I also lost loads of weight, um, which is a whole can of worms that we can go into in more detail or not. But I lost about 10 kilos since then. My God. And I've been putting it off because I'd had, um, I'd had stress fractures when I was rowing from doing too much training and not enough eating and i'd seen especially I, I wasn't a lightweight when i rode but i'd seen lightweight rowers get so injured and so sick from losing weight and you know i was a health like, i came in at a healthy bmi so i was like maybe i should just you know not worry about this my old coach always said don't worry about losing weight kind of it's not gonna make any difference even when i asked him straight out so i was kind of well maybe I don't need to and then I was like well let's just try it and see um and then at my next race I think I'd lost about five kilos by that point and I got a 10 minute pb and then by Bahrain in December I'd lost pretty much all of it I think like nine kilos or something and I got another uh 12 minutes off or something so I mean I think Steve's program has made a huge difference and all the other sort of little bits and pieces like we got, we changed some of my equipment a little bit, and I, like I said, I learned the flying mounts. But I do think, for me, the weight made a real difference. And obviously, that's only, well, you know, that only works if you have that weight to lose. I don't want anyone to listen to this and take this as I must lose weight to go faster because that's no. absolutely not what I'm saying. Um, but for me, it was, it was kind of a piece of the jigsaw that just wasn't quite there. So mm -hmm. that race led to. Sorry, I was going back to your original question. Like that race was mentally horrendous and led to all this change. Wow. And so I guess for, for just from all of that self-doubt, basically, and then from Finland. Yeah. And, you know, I've obviously been frustrated for a while that I'd sort of plateaued for almost a couple of years. Um, and... Yeah, I was just like, I have to do all these things that I'm not sure if I sh can or should try and do. But, you know, I'm kind of so desperate now to get faster. And I've tried everything else and my training's been consistent. My training had then been consistent for the first time, really, in my career for a couple of years. And I was like, well, I've got the consistency of training, which is the thing that I always thought I was missing. Like, there must be more to it. And what, like, what input did Steve have with you, you know, losing all that weight? Um, not much, but just a very, very gentle encouragement coupled with a don't overdo it, you know, don't do anything stupid. Um, so I, I think that was the right amount for a coach to have because I do hear of some coaches really pressurising their athletes to lose weight. Mm. And I don't think that's right. You know, I think you've absolutely got to be healthy first. And if someone's not ready to lose weight or perhaps doesn't even need to lose weight, it's easy to think of it as a shortcut. And, and I'm sure some coaches will think 
you know, maybe if we just need one more minute on the run, maybe another kilo would do it. And maybe that person doesn't have that kilo to lose. Um, so what Steve did was perfect. And then um, Ed, my other half, was sort of keeping an eye on me as well to make sure that I was actually... I mean, I, I was never going to skip meals or any of that, but, you know, I had someone there the whole time with me as well. Um, and, and that's just, massive, sorry. isn't it? Just, just having having someone else to make sure that you are okay you know every day they can actually check in they can see what you are consuming or whatever and really call you up on it if you're not you know if you're doing anything stupid (laughs) yeah exactly and um you know there were a couple of times where I was just like you need to ignore that today and just eat something because you're not able to train and you're really really grumpy and you're not recovering properly so it was absolutely invaluable to have him there as well. And how are you feeling now, having having done that? Like, do you feel sort of? Do you feel strong? Do you feel, how are you feeling? Um, yeah, I do still feel strong. I mean, I was really careful. I always ate after training sessions. Um, I made sure I was still getting plenty of um, like you know milk, dairy, that sort of thing, because I've seen a lot of people lose weight and have stress fractures. I haven't actually lost any power on the bike, which was one of my big concerns. Um, so I feel pretty good. And, and the, the running, I mean, it seems to have made a surprising difference, even to a flat bike course like Galveston. I I think I I just had a bad day in terms of power, and I put out about 10 watts less than previous years and went still a whole lot faster. So it has made a difference to the bike, but obviously the run has transformed. And again, on race day, it was like, the, the run course at Galveston is all concrete it beats you up and it was like I was sort of flying over it in comparison to previous years it was it was fantastic so I do feel the difference yeah what what, what are your um what are your aims now then for this year because you said what you so you turned pro in like 2014 uh, 15 yeah I think. 2015 yeah. yeah wow how did you get your pro license I think I had two times that were inside the criteria. So you have to apply to the BTF to get your pro license. Yeah. And in 2014, before I got injured, I had a top, I had a top 10 over, overall women in an Ironman. I think I was the third age group or something. And I had won a domestic race. And I think their criteria were, they were looser than that. I think the top three in the domestic race would have done it or something. Um, so I went to them and I said, look, I've got these results. Can I have my pro license, please? And they said no. Um, and then I actually turned it over to Ed, who wrote back to them and said, what do you mean? No, this is what your website says. This is what she's done. This is clearly within the rules. Like, give her the license. And they they were pretty rude, but they did give me the license. Um, and it was a battle for the first few years to get it. And, I mean, all sorts of people would say that I shouldn't have been racing pro and I wasn't very good and on one hand I kind of appreciate that argument um but on the other hand I would say a it's not doing anyone any harm like you know if I'm racing pro and I'm not very good like you know no one has anything bad to them happen because of that um whereas I've been training full time and if I was racing as an age grouper I'd kind of feel that I was that was cheating a little bit and that you know maybe I would have won my age group and taken a a prize or or a slot or something away from someone who was actually working around a full-time job and so I thought well you know I want to do this professionally I want to be comparing my times to the best people and even if I'm not there yet then I you know if you race in the pro wave that's a much better metric of where you are relative to those people than their age group waves with different wetsuit rules and there's at the time I think there were still different drafting rules for age groupers as well um so I was like I get a much more honest assessment of where I am if I do that and now knowing what you do know and knowing how long it's sort of taken you to get to where you are at the moment would you have still taken that pro license in 2015 2014 15 that's a really good question um I'm gonna say yes because I have ended up in a pretty good spot and I don't know where, I mean, maybe I would have got better faster. I don't know, but I wouldn't, 
I wouldn't want to say that I should have left it another three years and maybe I wouldn't have got some of the opportunities that I've had or I don't know what, what would have happened if I'd done things differently and I kind of like the way things have turned out so I'm going to stay, I'll stick with what I did. <laughs> Good, no regrets. <laughs> so 2019 then, what are your major aims then for this year? Another really good question that I don't have a very good prepared answer to. Um, so I've got we don't we don't like prepared answers. Don't up. worry. Sorry, <laughs> we don't like prepared <laughs> cool. answers. Um, I've got the challenge championship coming up. So I mean, it would be great to get a top ten at that. But I mean, I don't know who's going to turn up, which means I have no idea if that's you know it, it's so dependent on um, on who's there. I'm still. I'm still pondering right now whether to go back to full Ironman, which before the 2014 injuries, I did more do full Ironmans. And since then, I've been, I've done one since the injury, but I've been mostly sticking to halves. Um, I think really my aim for the year is just to keep improving because, like I said, I don't think I am at where I could be at yet. I feel like I still have a huge amount to learn and a lot of development still to come. Um, yeah, so to stay healthy and keep getting better, it's a bit of a cop-out answer, isn't it? I don't know. I want to tell you, no, I want to be no. like whatever place at World Champs or something because, I mean, anything could happen. I don't know if I'm. I've got a slot for Nice. I don't know if I'll go, but um, um, you know, just just to stay healthy and to keep progressing is really what I want out of the year. And does it appeal to you to do to go back to Ironman then full distance? Yeah, well, yes and no. So I think I would probably be better at Ironman. Um, throughout, I mean, throughout my rowing career, I, I really, really struggled because I could not sprint and I, ha- I just didn't have the raw power to go really, really fast. And even in half Ironman, I feel like that's... You're still racing. It's a shorter race. You're, you're, it's, it's reasonably intense, whereas full Ironman, obviously, is a level lower intensity more endurance and I just feel that I'd be stronger um but I am I'm a little scared of the distance I've got to be honest because I think because of the many run injuries I've had in the past um so yeah I'm really really not sure I will I I definitely want to do it at some point I'm just not sure how soon that will be watch this space (laughs) yeah we'll see Frankie, thank you so much and uh, good luck for the Challenge Championship as well. And um, yeah, it's been great having you on. Thank you. It's been great talking to you. Thanks for having me on. So another one, Rob, to add to the list for the championship in the uh, the Challenge Championship race. That's going to be her next big target. It's going to be a great race again, isn't it? It sure is. Absolutely. It's great to see someone who's like, trained and trained and trained and then the results improve and improve and improve so yeah i'm really excited to see how she goes this year good stuff hells thanks awesome right we're going to give a shout out to a couple of sponsors first up a shout out to food cell um if you're looking for a top tube nutritional carrier these things are awesome they bolt onto the bolts on your top tube or they attach with velcro straps they'll fit any bike and they fit in loads more gels and food than any other top tube carrier on the market despite not being physically very much bigger and do you know hells i was down getting a bike fit this weekend um with matt botterell we're going to have a bike fit special in a couple of weeks to talk about what we learned during the bike fit process my mate andy came with me and he had his food cell on his race bike and uh and matt's eyes lit up when he saw this he's like oh wow i've heard you talk about these on the show look at that this is awesome and he's he's kind of holding it up looking at it with his aerodynamic eye and going <laughs> oh yeah these things are really good i can see how that's going to work behind the and i was thinking hmm okay it's not scientific but i know matt well enough to know that if he thinks something looks like a like a good bit of kit that's good yep. enough for me. <laughs> yeah. The key thing with it is you can open and close it with one finger as you're riding to get your stuff in and out of it. So I've always struggled in the past getting things in and out. So if you want to get over to foodcell.co.uk, you can pick yourself up one of those and the code FREEPOST will give you free worldwide delivery for anyone who's outside of the UK as well as inside the UK, which is pretty darn cool. So Pretty. 
I tell you what, Hells, it was great fun having that bike fit with Botty. I went in there. It must have been eighth. My first photograph he took of me. You know, in your head, you think, I've got a pretty good bike position. Yeah. I looked like I was riding a five-bar gate. In fact, I looked like I was sitting uncomfortably on top of a five-bar gate at the start of it. And at the end of it, he made me look like a picture of him in the National 10-Mile Time Trial Championship. Yes. So, so was it... I know we got, we'll hear more about it over the next few weeks, but like, was it comfortable? Yeah. The, the guy is like a bike fit ninja. And I, have, I don't know if you've read the book, The Alchemist. I was talking about this on the way home. The Alchemist talks about like when people find a true calling, the universe speaks to them in the language of whatever they're doing. And the universe speaks to Matt in the language of bike fit. He stands there like the guy from The Karate Kid and just goes, yeah, I see what we need to do with you. And he like shifted some bits around. And on, like objectively, there was nothing like complicated that he did, I don't yep. think. But all of a sudden, I just went back on after he made these adjustments. I was like, oh, this is what a bike's going to feel like. And my <laughs> mate Andy as well, he was like, he struggles really badly with back and neck pain. And he was just, I can't believe how comfortable I feel. So mm. as well as looking ridiculously aerodynamic, it felt super comfy as well. So yeah, really super impressed with it. And more than anything, I've left there so inspired to get back out there. Um, is that why you were out training last night yep I'm going to get in and do some 10 mile time trials I'm going to get out are you go out and blast up and down and have a zoom around yeah I'm really inspired to get out and do a bit so yeah it's going to be good fun to sometimes you just need like you know you just need that almost friendly helping Uh, hand just to give you a little push or a little bit of inspiration and then you're like right great and he's such a he's such an inspirational guy to talk to he works with so many pros and it's like he was texting. He was texting Foggy as as we were doing it, going, "Rob Wilbur's going to come and take you down at the Outlaw." <laughs> Foggy's like, "Yeah, I'm not that concerned." Uh, bless him, but I am coming for you, Foggy. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, he's one of those guys. And afterwards, he like put it up on Instagram, and that's how we ended up with an interview with Susie Chief. And Susie was like, "Oh, I forgot to reply to your email. I'm so sorry. Let's do the interview now." So, yeah, it was it was super cool. Loved it. Um, Right. So talking about racing that's coming up, we've got the Outlaw Half coming up this weekend down in Nottingham, which looks like the weather's going to be nice for. Um, So anyone who's racing the Outlaw Half, come over and say hi. I'm going to be helping out doing the race briefings at the start. So if you listen to the show, come and say hello and introduce yourselves. Hope the weather holds for you all. So I haven't got the start list here, but I know there's always tons of great British age groupers get down to that event to sharpen themselves up at the start of the season. And we've also got Ironman Lanzarote kicking off at the same time this weekend, haven't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's always a it's always a great race, isn't it? Yeah. And um, yeah, that is going to be th- this May. The, actually, Rob, it's two is sorry. That's my bad. It's the following week. It's May the 25th. Oh, it's the 25th, isn't it? Yeah, I've got, yeah. yeah. That's right. my bad. Don't you after. worry. No it worries. is, but it's got, um, like, who's down to race? Sort of Nikki Bartlett and Emma Pallant again are both down to race. Um, and then stacks a bit like Graves is down on the start line as well, yeah. isn't it? Phil Graves is down on the men's race. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, we can blether on about that a bit more next week, can't we? Exactly. Exactly. We can jump into that there. Um, so one thing we want to give another shout out before we finish is our sponsors, Tribe. You can go to wearetribe.co and if you haven't tried their stuff yet, super yummy energy bars, protein bars, protein shakes. You can try a six pack for just a pound using the code TRIBOXYGENADDICT. Go to wearetribe.co forward slash oxygenaddict. You can set up your own little pack and get posted through the door. I actually had an extra recovery shake last night, Hells, when I got back from my ride. How funny is that? That's how seriously I'm taking it. I, I logged on Strava, had the recovery shake afterwards, and I feel up and bouncing after their sea salt and I think a sea salt and cocoa I had last night. Yes, yeah. Really yummy, not super sweet like I was expecting at all. It tasted like one of those posh milkshakes in a posh milkshake bar down in London town. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I was thinking a mm, bit of vegan goodness for me. So felt great and ready to go again this morning. So I'm going to get out in the sunshine again on the bike after we've done this. I love this. Uh, so what, what? So what are you training for a race, Rob? Then at the moment, I'm going to do some tens. I'm just going to jump in. And, so you're going to do right. So you're going to do TTs. I'm not going to do my traditional. I've done three days of good training, so I'll enter an Ironman and, and overface Sensible. myself. I'm just going to go and do some local tens and get back into it and just go out and have some fun and ride you around. 
that's good that's good um, I'm doing um what am I doing I'm doing a, a couple of more runs over the next few weeks what are you doing race then, yeah yeah so I'm gonna do a women's only marathon like in two weeks oh, as you really? do really another one yeah. yeah I know okay so anyway, talk us through this then is this uh is this like a you're going to go and race it? Or are you going to do it just because you can, or what's just the thing? Can just good for I you, can. mate. Yeah, just because I can, and and I love Devon, and it's going to be like a day running around Devon. So nice. <laughs> why wouldn't you want to? Yeah. So I'm going to do that. Then the Winkle Trout Run, my favourite run. When's that? What day is it on? It's the second of June, I think. First or the second? Is that a so, Tuesday night? No, it's a weekend. Okay. Yeah. Uh, then. Oh, going cycling in Sardinia for like a week. Lovely. Yeah. And then panic training button has been hit because <laughs> Go on. Um, I'm doing the Chumley, the Castle Triathlon series. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to do the relay on the Saturday with Rich and friends. Um, and then I'm going to do the middle distance on the Sunday as things stand. <laughs> this awesome. is major panic training. So what date's that on? Uh, I don't know, like the 25th of June or something. Brilliant. Yes. So, so, so you're back on it. It's a mix of, I'm not taking it too seriously. Ah, panic. Correct. Correct. I still Love haven't it. swum for longer than 35 minutes yet at all. Probably since September. You'll be out of the water faster than that come race day. You'll be fine. It'll be really so panic training is great. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. So that gives you, what, about six weeks from now, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> good stuff so I've never been to Chumley Castle I might come down and cheer you on that sounds like great you should fun. yeah should do the, the relay I'm really looking forward to the relays so it's relays on the Saturday and then a middle distance yep. on the Sunday so they've got um, relays they've got Olympic they've got loads of different stuff cool swims just runs you can do it all I love it sounds good yeah. man there you go All right, cool. Well, that's our time. Let's wrap it up then. So thanks very much, everybody, for listening. Again, thanks to our sponsors, ph.com. You can get 9.99's worth of free product using the code OxygenAddict. Foodcell.co.uk. Get free postage worldwide with the code FREEPOST, foodcell.co.uk. And try to get a trial pack of six yum-yums for just a pound, including P&P, using the code TRIBEOXYGENADDICT. And go to wearetribe.co forward slash oxygenaddict if you use that. Both Hells and I are out to do some, we're not called it panic training, Hells, we'll call it loving being out in the sunshine training. And yes. we will be back next week with an update on our training and everyone else's training and racing around the world. So get out and enjoy the sun this week, everybody. All right, I'm Coach Rob Wilby. I'm Helen Murray. And you've been listening to the Auction Addict Triathlon Podcast. Have a great, safe training and racing week, everybody, and we'll talk to you all again soon. Cheers now. See ya.